0: Let's go ahead and get started i'm Cal Wilson. I uh, have been asked to talk about uh, the principles of starting an international residency program i I've had some experience in this. Uh, I uh, started the the family medicine residency program in in the country of Ecuador the first one and in Rwanda and uh, uh, for my For my sins, I was asked to also start the residency program at the University Hospital in Denver, uh, which turned out to be a far more elaborate process than than the other two, it turned out. Uh, (coughs) Involved in each one of these, uh, particularly in Ecuador and uh, and in Rwanda, uh, uh, we spent a minimum of five years living in the country uh, seeing this this happen. And so one of the things that you'll hear from me today uh, is a little bit about the long-term approach to this. Uh, a residency is not something that you can start uh, on a uh, two- or three-month sabbatical. Uh, it's something that takes more time. Uh, but when that time is put into it, it becomes incredibly uh, valuable time, and it can save a lot of problem down the road. Uh, one of the things I'll just mention is that I have deliberately made this a bit generic in terms of what kind of residency, uh, realizing that there's a variety of specialties represented here at this at this conference. Uh, you will soon uh, recognize that mo- all of my examples and almost all of my experience have to do with. Uh, the development of family medicine residencies. Um, and so uh, I'll, uh, I'll just mention that in advance. But there are a host of new residencies in many developing countries that are just begging to be started. Uh, and by begging, I mean the health system leaders uh, or the the, uh, prominent physicians in the country uh, are often very anxious to see new residencies started uh, but don't have the time or the expertise to do so. Specifically, not just in family medicine, but in emergency medicine, in uh, uh, the surgical subspecialties such as uh, orthopedics, uh, ENT, uh, cardiovascular surgery even, neurologic surgery, uh, these are all specialties that uh, have a sig- can play a significant role in the health of a developing country. So, uh, let's just get started looking at uh, some of the some of the issues involved here. You see my uh, my objectives in uh, that I hope to try to accomplish in uh, in this talk here. Uh, and uh, uh, you'll also find me talking a little bit, especially uh, with a special focus on elements of sustainability because uh, I find that uh, that really is one of the more difficult issues to address and yet probably one of the more important. Uh, one re- Before we get started, uh, just to understand you all a little bit, uh, how many of you have been involved in starting a residency or are currently involved in starting a residency outside of the country? Okay, good, a few. Very good. Uh, how many of you have been involved in starting a residency here in this country? Okay, one. Very good. Uh, Okay, uh, just a few things right from the very beginning, uh, just to, in a sense, sort of dispel some myths about uh, about starting a new uh, training program. Uh, just some things that, believe it or not, <laughs> I have seen happen in uh, uh, one sense or another uh, in, in in various programs, uh, uh, and uh, almost invariably, the programs that have indulged in this have have come to ruin. Uh, Specifically, uh, the bottom line is don't put the cart before the horse. Uh, As Americans, uniquely Americans, one of the first things that we do as part of our American spirit, our American culture, is uh, when we see something that needs to be done, a new program especially, the first thing that almost invariably is discussed is the building. Where is it going to be? Uh, preferably a new building, preferably one financed from the outside. Uh, and uh, that's, I think, one of the, one of the worst things that, uh, that, that can be done. And the same thing is true then of all of the other elements that you might think of as important in the development of a residency. All of these that are listed here really are down the line. And so don't worry yourself about these things at the very beginning. Okay, what do we do to get started here? Well, I think right from the very beginning, we have to have our eyes on the issue of local sustainability. Now, by local sustainability, I mean that ultimately the goal is that this residency training program is going to be uh, fully staffed, fully funded, and fully operational uh, by, uh, by the national um, system, whether it's a national health system or a sub, uh, subsystem within the, uh, the country like a uh, missionary health system or something like that. Uh, at any rate, we have to work right from the very beginning. We have to try to work toward those things that are going to make this locally sustainable Without the need of outside funding, and ultimately without the need of even that much in the way of outside um, academic expertise. Okay, uh, first thing first. I think uh, is that one has to understand and try to characterize in some way the, the national health system. What is it you're dealing with now? You notice I'm talking about the national health system here. Uh, One of the things that I see in in many countries, and I'll just be very blunt and specific if you don't mind. I saw this specifically in India where some of the large missionary teaching hospitals of of India decided they wanted to, to train family physicians. And so they started training family physicians. At the very beginning, the residency was unique to that particular hospital. And those family physicians who were trained were destined to be part of the workforce of that specific hospital. Uh, Now, to their credit, they joined forces and uh, formed a consortium of of, uh, teaching hospitals across India so that when the doctor graduated from from the residency, he could... Uh, or she could go to any number of uh, Christian uh, uh, hospitals there, but it was still within the system. Uh, I think that when one is going through the effort of trying to start a a new program, particularly if this is the first program in the country, uh, especially if this is the first program in the country, one has to think on a national level. Uh, and so what that means is look at the whole country, uh, the numbers of doctors active in the whole country, uh, the demographics, the, uh, the numbers of students that are right now in uh, residency uh, in, in medical school and in residency training programs. Uh, what are some of the peculiarities of, of uh, uh, medical service, of, of, of licensure certification in this country? Uh, one common issue in many, many countries is that there's anywhere from one to, uh, two years of required community service before a doctor can actually be fully certified to practice. And that has to be taken into consideration here and can actually become, uh, an interesting part of the uh, training process. And then, who is the one who, who, who are the gatekeepers in the country that actually certify physicians? Uh, it, it varies from country to country. Uh, in some cases, it's the Ministry of Health. In, in many cases, it's a uh, consortium of uh, a national association of physicians of some sort. Uh, in many other countries, it's the university who grants a diploma uh, to the physician. And by virtue of this diploma, having graduated from the university's postgraduate program, uh, they basically are automatically considered... A specialist. Uh, so uh, we, need to, we need to try to understand these things here. And then do a, a, a bit of a situation analysis on this. Having understood what are the, the, the demographics and the dynamics of the medical situation in the country, uh, again, focusing on the in, entire country if possible, uh, look at the strengths the weaknesses, the opportunities and threats posed by starting a new postgraduate uh, residency program. By the way, I, 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 I've already noticed myself doing this. I'll interchangeably talk about residency programs and postgraduate programs. Most most countries in Africa uh, and in Latin America, I'm not quite sure about Asia, uh, uh, the, the postgraduate, or rather, the residency programs, uh, are almost invariably affiliated with a known university and are considered a postgraduate program of that university. Uh, in Africa, for instance, the the uh, postgraduate program graduates the uh, the specialist with a master's degree in that particular specialty. Uh, it's, uh, it's a little bit different from our American system here. Uh, they're called doctor, but they don't actually have a degree of doctorate. To get a degree of doctorate, you have to take a PhD uh, after getting your specialty training. Uh, and that has some implications all of its own. Uh, so uh, you want to look at, at, uh, at the distribution of physicians and, and, uh, and their numbers. Uh, the The feeding pipeline of medical students and residents uh, you want to look at the eth- educational methodologies being used uh, the uh, you want to try to to understand and and hear discussions with national uh, health leaders can be very helpful to try to understand the health and economic uh, impact of the current situation and what might change with a uh, a new Batch of of specialists. Just in terms of the uh, deficient, the the, the uh, issues of numbers and distribution of physicians, I'll just mention one of the one of the first things that uh, that took me to Rwanda was actually uh, an invitation to talk with the. Uh, Uh, Vice Minister of Health, who was really recruiting outside help for uh, a whole series of new residency programs that they were starting in Rwanda following the genocide. Uh, This this was 15 years after the genocide. Uh, They still uh, had not uh, been able to reestablish the uh, pre-existing postgraduate programs. Uh, And they were anxious to do so because they were having to send all their doctors outside of the country for training. Very expensive process. Uh, and uh, so I asked, "Well, uh, you know, tell me a little bit about how many how many doctors are in Rwanda, and, and uh, so on and so forth." And the uh, the sub minister just kind of gave a wry smile, and he says, "Well, he says we right now have a population of about ten million five hundred thousand people. Uh, we have a total right now of about uh and I'm sorry. We have a total of about 500 doctors in the country. I said, "Well, that's not a very good ratio, is it?" And he says, "That's not the worst of it. Of those 500 doctors in this country, only 250 of them are actually seeing patients. The other 250 of them have been are are employed by various NGOs, by various mission groups uh, to do uh, to do administrative work." or, uh, or other jobs. So there's essentially only 50% of the existing doctors here that are available to actually treat illness. Interestingly enough, I, uh, I looked at the situation a few years later and uh, they had been really working to increase the number of physicians. And so they, they were up to about a 1,000, a uh, little over a 1,000 physicians in the country. Interestingly enough, of those 1,000 physicians, only 500 of them, were actually seeing patients. In other words, the, the internal brain drain of physicians. Now, all of them were in the country. They, they they weren't going to other countries to practice. They were staying there, but they weren't functioning as physicians. And that's something that it's one of those questions that needs to be asked. How many of these doctors are actually working? Okay, still involved in getting started uh once you feel like you have a bit of a handle on the dynamics, the, the demographics, uh, the, the situation uh, in, medical, in medicine in this particular country as a whole, then you want to start looking for who's interested in a new residency program. Who are, the, who are the stakeholders, the people who really would be interested in something like this? And my experience has been that you have to plow deep to find all of these stakeholders. Um, obviously, you'll start with the official government agencies. And most commonly, that involves the Ministry of Health. But don't forget the Ministry of Education. Because in many countries, uh, it's very curious, the Ministry of Health is responsible for providing health care and for uh, distributing uh, medical uh, workers throughout the country. But the Ministry of Education is, has the final say in curriculum uh, and and uh, uh, all of the training uh, elements of both the medical school and the postgraduate specialty programs so uh, now in other countries that 's not the case. The Ministry of Health takes care of it all, but again, this is part of knowing what you 're working with in that situation uh, the Physician professional organizations are very important. They go by a a, a variety of names usually. Uh, But basically, in every country, there's a group of physicians, usually a relatively small group, usually a very elite group, usually a very um, close-knit group of physicians that basically, uh, if if you come right down to it, often have the ultimate say in what goes on in medicine in that particular country. You gotta get to know them. You gotta you gotta at least involve them if at all possible. Um, <clears throat> I think it is very important when you're starting a new residency program in a in another country to as right from the very beginning, try to affiliate that with a known and respected university. Now I know that in many situations, including in our own country that's not necessary. Uh, it's not legally required. But I can tell you that, that the imprimatur of a, of a known and respected university does a lot for supporting the... Entrance of these newly graduated specialists into practice. It it does a lot to overcome some of the, some of the uh, misgivings and, and, and even turf battles that you get among the existing elite, uh, physicians. So look for, look for some sort of, uh, of university or teaching faculty that is already involved in teaching medicine as well as teaching hospitals where they can work. Finally, uh, look for ancillary um, stakeholders. Just looking at these, at, at, uh, at these primary stakeholders is important, but there's a lot of others that, that, that do have a significant stake in a new residency program. Uh, students that are about to graduate that are looking around for possibilities. How can they further their training? How can they get involved in a specialty? In many developing countries, uh, they, they have to look abroad for a variety of specialties. Um, in my setting, uh, I would especially focus on existing practicing physicians uh, that are practicing primary health care, uh, that that want to know more that that want to do a better job at primary healthcare in almost every uh african or latin american country uh the general practitioner there's a bunch of general practitioners usually in fact most of the physicians are call themselves general practitioners that means they've just graduated from medical school and if there was a required social uh, or community service uh, activity they completed that uh but that's it in rwanda for instance these general practitioners are on call all night in the district hospitals. They're the ones that do the C sections. Um, that uh, doesn't always go well, uh, given that level of expertise and uh, at that uh, at that particular procedure. Uh, you want to try to see if there are any advisory organizations uh, in the country that are active. Some of these may be uh, NGOs and so on. Uh, and you want to try to include other medical professional bodies that, that are just interested in this kind of thing because they may end up doing some of the teaching like nursing, pharmacy, or if there's a school for, uh, for clinical officers. <clears throat> now, having all of this, really the next step is to begin to go public with it. And what you want to do here. Uh, is you want to take all of this information that you've gathered. And I can tell you, it takes months to gather this information and to begin to form these relationships with these stakeholders. Uh, you want to try to put it down on paper. You want to write basically, a—I call it a draft discussion paper. You can call it a white paper. You can call it a proposal, whatever. Uh, you really want to try to put all this together in writing in a relatively succinct fashion because it's going to have to go to a whole bunch of people. And so it has to be as clear as possible. It has to address as much as possible uh, some of the, the common questions that will be asked. More than anything, uh, it has to... Uh, it has to answer a couple of important questions. Uh, what is this new specialist going to do? What is the scope of activity of this new specialist? For ones that, that, that may not be familiar to the population, like much of Africa, for instance, uh, or when I was working in Latin America uh, 20 years ago, uh, the same situation in Latin America, a family physician, a well-trained generalist, just nobody knew about it. What, what kind of a doctor that that person was? Uh, it, it was it was totally unknown, and so what uh, one of the one of the things that I had to do, particularly in Ecuador, and I did the same in in, in Rwanda, was was develop what I called the profile of the ideal family physician. Uh, just a, just a short synopsis of the broad characteristics that we were trying to train into these. These uh, uh, these super g- generalists. Uh, you have to try to talk about the format of training, including educational methodology. And I don't know if any of you uh, attended uh, uh, the talk yesterday on uh, uh, educational methodologies, uh, but uh, it was it was superb. Uh, Many, many countries, and I'll specifically single out Francophone Africa, uh, <clears throat> have a very distinct way of training uh, their medical students and, and uh, residents. And that is, uh, well, let's just say through, through the way we did the students. Uh, and one of the things that the students themselves beg for very often is, is there any way we could, we could do this training a little bit differently? Uh, I, I, I can't get into that at, at this point, but maybe if, if we have a little time at the end we can talk about that. Basically, in Rwanda especially, in Ecuador to a lesser extent, uh, we had to actually put into the proposal a, 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 um, the, the proposal that we would like to change the, the training methodology uh, to a more open, Socratic, uh, less painful kind of teaching methodology, just because we felt it was it was more effective in terms of teaching. Uh, okay. Before you go any further, any, any questions about any of this so far? This is all sort of groundwork. Uh, Not terribly sexy. It's actually a lot of hard work. But uh, any questions, thoughts, experiences? Yes? So when you're doing this part of the analysis, do you actually have to be in-country and talking to people? I think, I would have to say, I think that is a very good idea. Now, it could be done... Uh, in a series of closely spaced intermittent visits uh, uh, that I think could potentially accomplish the same thing with one exception in most of these countries the whether or not this goes forward and how well it goes forward and how many barriers you're going to have to try to surmount uh, really depend on one primary issue and that is the strength of your relationships with the people that are making the decisions. And frankly, I think we need to focus on developing the relationships with these stakeholders first before we start asking them about uh, all of the technicalities of of, of developing a new residency program. Uh, They need to know they can trust us. And, And when it comes to developing relationships, that's harder to develop with intermittent visits. It's impossible to develop with two, two week visits. You just can't do it. So, if it is possible to be in country doing this, yes, I, I really recommend that. Other questions? Okay. Um, let's uh let's uh go to the next step here let's say that you've uh you've worked hard on your on your um, proposal uh your white paper you've passed it around to all of the various stakeholders you've gotten a lot of comments back you've made uh you've made uh, appropriate adjustments and uh, negotiated some issues and uh, that kind of thing by the way that takes a few months to uh Just to get that done, Uh, but let's say that uh, eventually you have a big meeting and everybody's ready to go. Uh, It's a good feeling, believe me. Uh, It's it's you feel it feels like the culmination of of a lot of work. The problem is it's just the beginning of a lot more work. But uh, this is where you want to again begin thinking about sustainability. the first step towards sustainability is getting buy-in from as many people as want to contribute to this or as many people as could erect barriers to you uh, moving ahead with this you want to you want to hold your friends close but you want to hold your enemies closer uh when it comes to when it comes to stakeholders uh if they can erect barriers if they've got a no vote uh a, a veto power uh you really want to be sure that they understand what's going on and that they're in agreement with what's going on because there's nothing more disconcerting than to come to this this big meeting where everybody's going to uh, to vote on this uh only to have uh, uh somebody from an obscure office in the department of education over here saying sorry can't do it uh, without realizing that this individual, this office, actually had a significant veto power over what was going to be happening. Okay, uh, so it's been it's been uh, approved, uh, and just a few ideas on on, on uh, next steps. Uh, you want to try to identify the primary implementer, national, national, if at all possible, not an NGO, uh, not a an external. Um, not an external uh, agency, but if at all possible, a national implementer. Personally, I think the the most ideal situation is where you have a national university who's willing to take it on. In both Ecuador and Rwanda, this actually occurred. Now, interestingly enough, there was only one university in Rwanda at the time. We started the National University of Rwanda. No others. Uh, and and there's been a bunch of others that have developed since then but but uh, so we only had one, per, one one university to deal with but that university had pretty much monopoly power at the same time and fortunately the president of the country had also de- decreed just shortly before we actually moved there to start working the president of the country had decreed in rwanda that he felt that the uh, the francophone oriented uh, style of teaching in in the entire university was just not appropriate for for his new developing country and he actually cleaned house uh, especially in the medical school i 'm not sure what happened in the other schools, but in the medical school, uh, most of the old guard disappeared, and he brought in some new uh, new blood that began to implement. Uh, more, uh, more effective uh, training teaching methodologies. Okay, uh, <clears throat> if at all possible, it's good to develop a written MOU memorandum of understanding with the primary implementer, the university. Uh, it may be, it could be that the primary implementer is the Ministry of Health or some other agency. But again, for sustainability's sake, it really is better, I think, that it be a national institution uh this mou uh is uh, that's that's sort of an american thing uh in 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 many of these countries uh you know they like to shake hands on these things uh the problem is that leaves a lot of 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 issues sort of in in a nebulous uh, that that has to be discussed later uh and, and that becomes really a very exhausting procedure. So it's nice to try to anticipate some of the issues, get it written down, just to clarify the objectives, the time frame, the roles of the responsibilities of the organizations involved, uh, the teaching hospitals involved, uh, wh- who's going to provide the faculty, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, and uh, and if at all possible, you want to get some agreement on on how long a, tra- a course of trading this is going to be. Is it three years, four years? Uh, is it going to be an accelerated course, two years uh, for various reasons? There's, there's all kinds of things that need to be thought of and discussed in that situation. The other thing that I think is really important, and I have seen some situations where this was not done um, initially, and that was to work out the details of the licensure and specialty status of these new graduates. Now, in some cases, if you're graduating, if you're developing an internal medicine program or a pediatric program, that's not as much of a problem. That's it's understood, well known and so on. But when it comes to a new specialty, like family medicine or like emergency medicine, which by the way is is uh, until just recently has been totally unknown in 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 many parts of Africa. Uh, the, uh, uh, it, it's helpful to spell out. Okay, uh, who who's going to certify them? Uh, uh, what's their classification going to be? Ideally, with the Ministry of Health, you try to nail down what salary level are they going to be paid at? That's that's critical for recruiting new students to know how much they're going to be paid as uh, as residents. Uh, so all of these can be, can be written down, not in a binding contract, but just, just a a memorandum of understanding. Now, we've got that. So the next step is to actually begin working on the, on the residency. Uh, now this is where, uh, there needs to be, uh, a lot of collaboration. Uh, it is very likely and i i made a note a little further down here that in many cases with a new residency program uh there are some expats involved missionaries like us or others uh that uh that are bringing in outside expertise particularly if it's a new field a new specialty um, and these these people it's it's very easy for us to uh uh, draw five different curricula, uh, specialty curricula from five different sources, uh, put it together and just say, here it is, all done. Uh, that may make us feel good, it may even speed things up a little bit initially. The problem is, if it's not their idea, the chances are there's going to be problems later on. It has to become... This has to actually come from the national institution that's that's implementing the residency. Uh, <clears throat> One of the things that I think is 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 critical, uh, and if it's if it is implemented within the the uh, uh, the local institution, uh, this will happen automatically. Uh, it, it needs to take into consideration the, the cultural distinctives uh, and the values of the country as well as the disease profile of, of that particular country. Uh, that, uh, that's one of the reasons why just importing an outside curriculum of study is, is uh, another bad idea. Because it doesn't take into consideration uh, these things, especially the most common illnesses, reasons for encounter. If you're, if it's a primary care uh, program, uh, these could be generated by the Ministry of Health generally, uh, and you want to look at, especially if if this is a, a new program for family medicine that is. Um, uh, trying to strengthen the primary healthcare level in the country, uh, you want to look at some of the uh, specific illnesses uh, and issues that are the most problematic for that country. Uh, the most common problems, um, the most, <clears throat> and and you know, in, in many cases, you'll find it's malaria, it's tuberculosis, it's HIV. But what about strep throat? <clears throat> there are entire medical teams in the U.S. now that uh, visit various countries in both Asia and Africa to uh, replace malfunctioning heart valves uh, in children with rheumatic heart disease uh, at great expense. Uh, subjecting those kids very often to prolonged Coumadin therapy and the whole thing uh, when a simple program to eradicate or diminish the incidence of, of, of streptococcal pharyngitis could prevent so much of that. That's what, that's what can be done. That's what can be offered the country here with a good primary health care problem. And, and, and that can be one of those points of, uh, of, of, uh, of discussion. Uh, but you also need to look at, at potentially uncommon problems that may be really critical if they're left unattended that might not become so critical if they're diagnosed early. Uh, tuberculosis is a, is a good case for that. Preventive health care. Uh, it really needs to involve professionalism and medical ethics. Now again, that's that's... A Western concept. You won't find that too often uh, in countries where uh, uh, where there is uh, little Western influence. Uh, but uh, it's a subject that uh, even even they will admit needs to be discussed. You just start asking uh, local physicians for stories of unprofessionalism or of uh, uh, bad ethics and the stories just flow. They, they, they know what, what the situation is. And then, uh, especially in primary health care, uh, you, you need to include community-based medical practice and public health concepts as well in the curriculum. Okay, educational uh, methodology. This is just one, um, one slide on this. Uh, in In many countries the current educational method really is, is a focus on rote learning of, of facts and of regurgitation of these facts uh, without, much attempt, without much attempt to develop uh, critical thinking or, or clinical decision-making. Um, and so uh, it's very possible that new teaching methods may have to be introduced to the country, such as the ones that I've listed here. And this really needs to be, uh, along with the evaluation approach, this needs to be included with the, uh, with the curriculum. Finally, the residency faculty. You've got to have teachers. Where do they come from? Well, if, if this is a new specialty, especially, or even if it's not a new specialty, say it's pediatrics, but, for instance, when I started in Rwanda in, in uh, 2006... Uh, there were five pediatricians in the entire country. There were about six surgeons in the entire country. Uh, and so uh, to ask them to be the, uh, the, the faculty of a new residency program in those specialties was, was really stretching them out. Uh, Rwanda actually ended up getting enough money from the U.S. to import visiting faculty over a five year period of time to teach in, in their in, in various of their specialty faculties. Uh, so they may be international expats, uh, but if you can find national specialists that are that are interested in teaching, so much the better. Now, here's one of the keys I think is that if in a country that is is lacking in um, in in well trained uh, physicians, specialist physicians, regardless of whether they're family medicine or surgeons or internists or whatever, um, you need more teachers. You need more faculty. And one of the things that I think is really critical in in setting up a new program is the curriculum needs to include a whole section on what how, on training them to become faculty members as well. When when I was screening. Uh, potential residents uh, to be, uh, be uh, first-year residents in the program, one of the things that I tried to look for was how, uh, how willing were they to teach, how much experience had they had in teaching. Just what, were they natural teachers? Uh, because that was going to be one of their first and, and, and very important duties the minute they graduated. They were going to have to become the faculty. That's part of the sustainability issue, and so we actually had uh, entire exercises for the for the whole four years of the of the residency program. In they taught each other, then they taught medical students, Um, and uh, they published papers and and so on and so forth to uh, to try to get them into a faculty um, mindset, and the expat faculty. really need to uh, understand that they're there to get things started, but that uh, unless the Lord calls them specifically to this, uh, it's really better to let the national graduates take over the program just as soon as possible, with some guidance, obviously. Uh, one other thing that that I'll just mention is that uh, one source of, of national specialists is uh, there may well be doctors in the country that have been trained outside of that country in a particular specialty that uh, that very often if they 've been trained particularly in a more um, western model of, of teaching, uh, they may have uh, really learned some good clinical skills, some good judgment skills and so uh, you can uh, you can call on them in Ecuador, for instance. Uh, <coughs> Uh, for a long time, in starting the, the family medicine program there, it looked like I was the only family physician, expat or national in the entire country. Uh, but uh, it turned out that uh, there was a, uh, 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 an Ecuadorian couple who had gone to Mexico and trained in family medicine in Mexico and then come back and set up a small clinic. Uh, they became some of our most valuable faculty. Uh, in uh, not only getting the program started, but in, in uh, keeping it start, keeping it going as well. And there are logistics. Uh, there's a lot of logistics. Now here you need somebody who can really really work with national people to to try to coordinate this. Uh, <clears throat> you all know, having gone through your own residency programs. Uh, how many logistics were needed for, for you t- to go from one hospital to another or one clinic to another or from clinics to lectures or, and, and so on and so forth. Uh, there's just a lot of this. Uh, again, the ideal coordinator of this, it's better. It, and initially, at first, it may have to be a, an expat uh, Uh, advisor but uh, it's really better that as soon as possible this be taken over by the national implementer whether it's a hospital or the university uh, or the ministry of health any questions so far comments yeah cultural barriers when trying to implement a different style of education like a methodology if they're used to those francophone methods of education, really, resistance to changing that. Uh, <clears throat> among the professors, absolutely, uh, because you the the, the particular style of, of teaching was that the professor was was sacrosanct. Uh, that what the professor said was was the gospel. Uh, students, a good student, would dutifully write down not just. More or less, what the professor said in his notes, he would write down word for word what the professor said. Because on the examinations, uh, the highest marks went to those students who could verbally quote back verbatim what the professor had said about this particular issue. Uh, There was no questioning of the professor. Uh, a, a question was considered an insult to the professor that uh, he or she had done their, their job properly. Even worse, a question that they couldn't answer, uh, because it, it shamed them. And, and uh, many of these cultures are honor-shame type cultures. Uh, so that that that's the atmosphere that many of them have been have been raised in. Uh, and I found to my dismay that at least some of the residents had so imbibed this model that when they became, when they graduated and, and they started teaching, they started adopting the same thing because, I mean, who doesn't aspire to be the, the, the physician on a pedestal, the teacher on a pedestal? Uh, they had to be corrected. 只要 yeah. That's a very good question the question was if you didn't hear it if you're if you're working in a Christian uh, mission hospital uh, how important is it to uh, to develop Christian residents and, and 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 is that is that part of the uh, uh, part of the goal is that all of your graduates are are believers is that is that a fair restatement of that uh, That is, uh, the only way I can put it is that that is a controversial question. Uh, Because there are many mission hospitals that do feel that way that all of their physicians, all of the students that they train, all of the doctors that they graduate in specialties uh, should uh, uh, be believers, should subscribe to the to the uh, faith of the, of the underlying hospital. Uh, and, I, and I can see, I think there's very good reasons for that. It, it, it promotes a Christian culture that is often lacking in, in other parts of the country. Um, personally, I worked uh, initially in a hospital, uh, which was a mission hospital in Ecuador, very well-known, respected Uh, that uh, had many Christian physicians working there. Uh, The administration was was composed of all believers. Uh, But they accepted medical students and they accepted um, residents that were not believers. Uh, In other words, that was not a criteria for admission uh, to be taught there at the hospital. Uh, They they did ask two things of all students and residents in the hospital uh, during their training. They asked, one, that they um, not actively try to uh, uh, speak against the faith of the hospital. In other words, to respect the Christian beliefs of the hospital. And secondly, they asked them all to participate in a weekly um, uh, grand Rounds which was known as Spiritual Cardiology. Uh, spiritual Cardiology was essentially a Bible study. Uh, and interestingly enough, they kept records over a period of time of those non-believing uh, uh, students and residents that went through that institution. Uh, specifically, well, I'll, I'll talk about our residents. Uh, uh, at least fifty percent of them were were not believers. Um, by the end of training, by the end of a three year program, all of them profess faith in Christ, primarily because of the spiritual cardiology. So, for, personally, I think that it's 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 a ripe mission field. Why 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 I, I find it difficult to, to demand require that every candidate for uh, for association with the teaching hospital has to be a believer. Uh, I, I think that's as much of a mission field as any other. Now, that requires that there already are a good number of Christian health workers in that hospital. Uh, that can model what it, what it's like. But uh, that, that's my personal feeling, quite honestly. Uh, I hate to miss a good mission opportunity. Yeah? subject when the government comes and audits us and asks the question. Sure, sure. And may, may, the, the government may actually have rules about that. About right. Okay. Very good. And I, like I say, like the PACS program, uh, <clears throat> like the, the Shell Hospital in, in, in Ecuador uh, that was one of our teaching hospitals had a policy of, of everybody that worked in the hospital, student or resident or physician or health worker, whatever, they all had to be believers. Um, I I, um, I I don't think that's necessarily wrong. Uh, I just think it may be missing an opportunity. Okay, uh, now <clears throat> let's say the residency program is up and running several years. Uh, you may be close to graduating your first group of uh, of, of graduates, uh, or um, uh, the uh, or you're, you've already graduated some. Uh, the thank you. The role changes here, uh, in which uh, in the, in the residency program. Basically, you want to especially encourage the active role of, of the early graduates. As I've already mentioned, uh, you want to. Uh, facilitate and and work diligently and encourage them to work diligently toward forming a national professional specialty organization if one doesn't exist in the country already. Uh, They need to get together periodically. Uh, You want to be sure that they're recognized as specialists and uh, and, uh, applicable to be stationed anywhere in the country, uh, not just in your particular hospital system. Uh, and uh, you want to encourage continuing professional development as well uh, with them. And again, I, I, I use the words encourage because they, they really should be uh, taking the burden of this themselves rather than having somebody from the outside doing it. Okay, I want to just take a couple of minutes to talk about some of the lessons that I've learned over the years in st- starting several programs uh, I talk at, uh, lessons learned in the trenches because quite honestly, very often I felt like I was getting shot at. Uh, <clears throat> but here's just some, some random, random, uh, issues. One is, uh, try to, and I've already spoken about this, try to identify everybody involved in a critical decision. All of the stakeholders. I've already talked about the the quiet, hidden officials that that have to sign off on an organization that may not be able to give assent, but they certainly can veto it. Uh, Those kinds of people you need to identify and and, and include in your discussions. There may well be some anti-American sentiment uh, in the country. And frankly, it could be in any country these days. Uh, even in Rwanda, which is one of the biggest uh, receivers of American aid in all of Africa, uh, <clears throat> there were significant uh, rumors and, uh, and, and uh, we were at the point of being discredited in our development of the family medicine program because it was, quote, an American program. Uh, in other words, that we were the colonists trying to impose something on them. Now, uh, if, if one follows the, pr- the, the process that I mentioned earlier, I think that can be defended. But that doesn't necessarily stop people from talking about this being an American, uh, an American program. Uh, the other thing that you have to be aware of is that there are other uh, agencies in the world that are trying to do the same thing. The British General Practitioner Group uh, has a very active Program of developing British GP uh, residency programs around the world, and they frankly can offer quite a bit because uh, uh, they've got a, a big uh, group behind them. Uh, it's not to say we're competing against them. It, ideally, we try to we try to join forces with them if at all possible. Uh, the other is that uh, periodically there arises a pharaoh who knows not Joseph. Uh, specifically uh, that you may have done several years worth of work and have gotten uh, a a lot of of, uh, positive uh, feedback and and, and good agreement on plans to start a new residency but suddenly the Minister of Health changes for political reasons Uh, and the new Minister of Health uh, either very often doesn't know exactly what's going on so has to be brought up to speed uh, or in some situations, as what happened in, in Rwanda, has a totally different idea uh, that uh, is, is actually totally opposed to what you're doing. Uh, so uh, you may have to be prepared to essentially start over again, take more time, and uh, and so on. Uh, and the last issue is that our p- primary goal is not to carry Now, this is a lesson that I had taken 20 years to learn this. Uh, I felt at times that my primary evangelization was extolling the virtues of family medicine for national health systems. And I began to realize, the Lord began to work with me in that, realizing that, you know, as important as that might be, uh, my real goal was to make followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, And that I think we can never lose sight of. The more involved we become with the nitty-gritty of establishing our programs, the more likely we are to fall to that. And how can this be avoided? It takes a lot of self-examination, periodic self-examination. Ask yourself yourself, your, f- try to find out, to figure out what your real motivations are and, and be honest with yourself. You may actually, because we are so capable of self-deceit, you may, it may be very helpful to sit down with a, with a trusted friend and ask them, what do you see uh, in, my, in my motivations? What do you see driving me? Why? And the same thing with your outcomes. What is your, what is your real goal in terms of outcomes? Is there balance in your clinical versus your spiritual life? Um, Do you have resources that you can draw on to keep your spiritual life healthy? And uh, even your physical and emotional health. Remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. How many of us are guilty of breaking that commandment? We uh, readily agree to the to the importance of, of nine other commandments. But how often do we actually meditate on that one and ask ourselves, are we, are we in line with what God had established, not, as a, not just as a law, but the Sabbath was made for man, not, not, not man for the Sabbath. And it's for our benefit that again was another lesson I had to learn. Being a doctor, who was used to working seven days a week, uh, we need to take rest. Thank you, very much, and uh, I'll be around for any questions that you might have. Cal, can I ask you uh, other? Well, maybe this is it. Other resources. Here we are. That- uh, one is a, uh, an article published in um, the, uh, the, the Christian Journal for Global Health by uh, two doctors that uh, that have been speaking here at this conference for, for many years, S- uh, Steve Mary and, and Bruce Dahlman, uh, starting and resourcing residencies as integral mission. Uh, it's, it's a superb article. Uh, and then... In terms of uh, just curriculum and standards for especially developing a family medicine program, uh, the WANCA, the uh, the World Academy of Family Practice, has some tremendous resources uh, that uh, are sort of summarized in this one document that I've mentioned here, uh, the Global Standards for Postgraduate Family Medicine ed- Education. Yeah. So in the situation where I'm, I'm working in, um, they train people over such a long period of time that um, I do OBGYN, if we do in four years, it takes them 10, 12, 15 years for them to be recognized as having the same level of clinical competence. How, and I know that's true in so many places, how did you uh, deal with getting recognition for people after they do it. Very, very good question. What, what country are you referring to? Mongolia. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, um, in some countries, that is not just the national culture. That's that's actually law. Uh, I, I, I suspect a lot of it has to do with the fact that their training is is not... Curriculum-based uh, or uh, uh, competency-based, uh, but it's it's more apprenticeship uh, kind of teaching. Uh, you just have to follow somebody around long enough to where you've you've probably uh, mastered most of everything. Um, that's actually another battle, uh, the whole battle of certification, and and what what I find sometimes is, is helpful is to at least introduce the idea that much of the world is going to competency based certification now. Where you can test for specific competencies. Uh you can train for specific competencies. And um, uh but that would have to be that would have to be dealt with at the highest levels, as well as the culture. You can bet that the older elite physicians there are gonna are going to uh oppose that because uh uh there's nothing more gratifying than to have a bunch of uh neophytes uh, nipping at your heels all the time uh, and uh, uh it's it it, it just it, it should be done, but it's not gonna be easy, yes. Yeah. Uh, as with most residency programs, including in this country, uh, it's a patchwork. Most of the time, uh, the residents almost always are if there if 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 there has been agreement at a national level. Uh, for the development of this residency, uh, that should come with a funding stream to pay the salaries of the residents. Now, it rarely pays for the salaries of the professors of the teachers. Uh, if you can, if you can work toward that, or if there's any any uh, uh, background of that being done in that particular country, I'd, I'd take advantage of it. But generally, the funding for the for the uh, teachers comes through a variety of other, other streams. Uh, in many cases, it's just added on to the workload of existing national professors, uh, national, national teachers. Uh, they're just suddenly told, well, 10% of your time is going to be teaching now uh, in, this, in this new residency. No, no change in salary, no nothing, just added workload. Uh, for the expats, uh, the, the money almost always comes from the outside. Um, I might mention that in, in Rwanda uh, I was there um, uh, not as officially as a missionary. I was there uh, as, a, uh, as a USAID uh, worker. Uh, so my funding actually came from USAID through the university uh, which was a sweet deal but uh, uh, it, it does happen. Uh, there's uh, there's a program in Kazakhstan that uh, excuse me uh, Kyrgyzstan that functioned for uh, almost 8 or 9 years uh developing uh high quality generalists uh that functioned in the same way uh the expats were paid through USAID funds uh but uh it may well be a missionary a supported missionary could uh, could do that uh for national national teachers uh, it, it's really a problem. You, you actually have to start start lobbying for funding streams, usually from the from the university. Any other questions? Well, I thank you all for your patience.